Sometimes I grow very weary of the world in which we live. And um, I, I don't want to be down in the mouth and I don't want to be negative, but, but I tire of all the wrong in this world. Anybody here like that? You know, and uh, I tire of the news and I tire of the headlines and I tire of everything wrong in this world. You know, it's, it's filled with deception and lies and manipulation and greed and theft and people being taken advantage of and the abuses out there and rape and murder and, and just the list goes on and on. And, and I'm not the only one who tires of it all. I know you do too. But we're in good company because God tires of it all. And as a matter of fact, he was so fed up with the sin of this world at one time he wiped the planet clean. And he started over. God takes sin very, very seriously. Case in point, the table. How seriously does God take our sin? That he would take the judgment for it upon himself. God takes sin so very seriously, I need to take sin seriously. You need to take sin seriously. And this world better start taking sin very seriously. For judgment has happened before, and judgment will happen in the future. And that's the message we see in 2 Peter 2. Isn't that a great way to start off the new year? Woohoo! Judgment is coming. It's a solemn, sober reminder to the seriousness of this life. And we've been studying through the book of 2 Peter. And instead of deciding to do a new series at the beginning of the year, which I usually do, I just felt like we're going to keep going through 2 Peter. And we're going to see the truth and we're going to dig down deep into it and let God's word speak. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our series in 2 Peter. And, And the Apostle Peter has been preparing the church for the reality of false teachers that will come into the church. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They they are false prophets. They they pervert the word of God and they tickle ears. They will not preach against sin because they want to be popular. And they will fleece the flock of God financially. Some of them will abuse their positions, preying upon people for sexual gratification. And and Peter wants, wants us to know, he wants to assure us that everybody faces judgment before God and especially these people. Nobody gets away with their sin. Nobody. And so then he gives us three illustrations of this to drive the point home. And we see this in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels, illustration number one, when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And that's what we saw last week as we really did a study on angelology and we looked into Jude and Genesis and dug into what God is teaching us on these angels. Verse, verse 5, and he did not spare the ancient world, illustration number 2, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, illustration number three, by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, pay attention, he says. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly, from temptation 
and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Now, we saw this last week. The entire passage that I just read to you, seven verses, is but one sentence. One long run-on sentence driving home the main point with three illustrations teaching on the certainty of judgment in this world, especially false teachers. And, And last week we looked at these angels. If God judged angels, he will certainly judge men. And this week we look at the second illustration. If God judged this world through a flood, he will certainly judge men. So so let's continue this short series on judgment within the longer series in the book of 2 Peter as we learn about judgment that is coming. An ungodly world was judged. Ungodly men will be judged. And our verse today is verse 5. Last week we looked at verse 4. Today we're only going to look at one verse, verse 5. And like I said last week, don't worry, I will fill up the time. You'll be okay. Verse 5, and he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Judgment is coming. Number one, the world wasn't spared, men won't be spared. He didn't spare it then, he won't spare him in the future. He did not spare the ancient world. God will only take so much of sin. Yes, he is a God of grace. Yes, he is a God of mercy. Right before us, the body and the blood of our Savior is proof positive of the mercy of God and the grace of God to save us from our sins. But he is a holy God and he is a righteous God. And he is a just God. And, and, and if people will not turn from their sin, they, they leave no alternative but to be judged for their sin. If we do not turn from our sin, we leave no alternative but to be judged for our sin. God will not turn a blind eye to judgment and to sin. Listen carefully, if you're here today and you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, you stand condemned before God already. You are condemned before a holy God. A God who has died for you, who has paid the price for your sin. And all you have to do is call out to this God in humility and ask him to save you. Sincerely call out to him and ask him to forgive you. And he will. He is a merciful God. He is a just God. But if you refuse... If you turn away from the only hope of salvation, he has no alternative but to judge sin as a holy God. Hebrews 2, 2 through 3. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a what? Just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We can escape. If we refuse Jesus Christ, there is no escape, for he is the only way of escape from our sin. You may say, well, how sinful was this world in Noah's time? It says he didn't spare the ancient world. Well, we have some descriptions of the world in Noah's time. Genesis 6, 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. 
great wickedness, every intent of the heart continually evil, and God is grieved and God is sorry that he made man. Later on in the same chapter, verse, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Three times that quickly. The earth is corrupt, people are corrupt, everybody's corrupt. He goes on and he says, and God said to Noah in verse 13, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Twice he's mentioned violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The earth is corrupt and the earth is violent and the earth is violent and everybody on it is corrupt. Genesis 8, 21, after the judgment, God looking back on it, he says, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. We are bent on wrong and evil from our youth. You don't have to teach a kid how to, to lie. It comes very natural from their mother's side. Just understand that. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. They lie naturally. You don't have to teach a child to steal. They'll take that toy from another kid. You don't have to teach a child to rebel. It's amazing how quickly they learn the word, no. No. They lie. They steal. They rebel. They are bent toward evil from their youth. And so are you. And so am I. And it is only by the grace of God that he can straighten us out and change us. Only God can do that. Not only bent toward evil, but bent toward insanity is this world. Ecclesiastes 9.3. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives afterward they go to the dead. What a beautiful picture of humanity, huh? Full of evil, full of insanity. You've heard me say it before. We live in a worldwide insane asylum. That's where you and I live. That's the truth of this world. And Jesus alone is the cure. We see a description of the world before the flood and in many times now in Romans chapter 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They don't want to hear the truth. They suppress the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his internal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. Here's the list. Ungodly, unrighteous, suppressing the truth, ignoring the evidence of God, dishonorable, ungrateful fools. Ah, but the list goes on. Verse 28 of the same chapter. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God any longer, and God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, so creative in our sin nature, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Look at this list. This characterizes humanity. Depraved, unrighteous, wicked, greedy, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Look at that list. That's the world then. And in many ways, that is the world now. It is not a pretty picture. 
We have a description of the world in the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Realize this then the last days. Difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. Oh, they're religious people. Hypocrites, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. This is not a pretty picture of humanity. What what we are studying right now is the doctrine of total depravity. The total depravity of man. That every part of man has been corrupted by sin. Our emotions, our mind, our will... Our flesh. Sin has infected every single part of you and every single part of me and every single person on this planet. It is the total depravity of every human being. But we are not without hope because of Jesus Christ who came and died for our sins. So don't be without hope. But understand depravity. The the world likes to paint this beautiful, rosy picture, a a, a self-portrait. This beautiful self-portrait, rosy-colored picture of what the world is really like. To put itself in the best possible light and setting. And and the world uses every imaginable filter to, to Instagram their image. And to make it look so much better than what it is. And to make them look like so much better than what they are. And to make us look so much better than what we are. We are sinful to the core. Lest we forget that. God paints a true portrait of humanity. He paints a true portrait of me. He paints a true portrait of you. And it's not pretty. There's no filters when God paints. When God shows a picture of us. He he shows all of the flaws. He does that with the greatest of servants in the Bible. Even showing the depth of their depravity at times as well. No filters at all. The world wasn't spared. Because of their sin. And men will not be spared. Unless they turn to Jesus Christ. The world wasn't spared. Men won't be spared. Secondly, the world was judged. Men will be judged. Look at the end of verse 5. How did he do it? He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And it was sudden judgment. It says he brought. The word suggests a swiftness. The people were not prepared for what was just about to take place. It is the same word used in chapter 2 verse 1. With the false prophets and false teachers bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Jesus describes the kind of suddenness or swiftness that would happen in judgment. Look at Luke 17, 26 with me. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Notice Jesus refers to the flood as historical fact. He refers to it as historical fact. And he says, it's going to be just like this when I return, Jesus says. His return will be similar to the judgment of the flood. 
People will be going about their merry little old lives, preparing meals, sitting down to eat and talk, going about their daily routines, making future plans, going to weddings, giving people away. They will be caught off guard. And they will be unprepared. And they were caught off guard here. And they were unprepared. My goodness, rain wasn't even in the forecast. There was no rain. The world today is like the world in Noah's day. Ignoring God, indulging in sin, living as if there is no God and there is no ultimate accountability, blinded by self-deception and blind to impending judgment. That is the world in which we live today. Do not be blind. Do not be blind. Do not be blind, Christian, that you also will be judged, and so will I. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat for believers. It is not a judgment for eternity. It is a judgment based on how we have lived our lives, how we have stewarded what God has given us and who we are, the gifts and the talents. We will stand before the judgment seat. Understand that. This world will be judged in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, when all of the dead of all of the ages will stand before God and and the books will be opened and the book of life will be opened. And those whose names were not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. There is a judgment coming for every single person, you and me included, before our Savior, as well as every unsaved person on this world that has ever walked this earth. The judgment came suddenly for these people. The judgment was a massive worldwide flood. He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. We read about it in Genesis chapter 7. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. We don't usually think about that. We usually think about the floodgates of the sky were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So we have this water bursting from below, these great subterranean reservoirs of water underneath the earth, bursting forth with power. You ever see a car take out like a fire hydrant and all... Think about These incredible fountains all over this earth bursting forth with unimaginable power and strength of water. That's what's going on here. And on the same day that happened, the rain started pouring down from above. The floodgates of the sky were open. You're going to say water from underneath and water from above. We read in scripture that there is a water canopy. A creation around this world. You say, what is a water canopy? I've never heard that. Where's that? It's in the Bible. Read it sometime. Day two of creation in Genesis chapter one. God said, let there, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the what? The waters. And God made this expanse, separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. There was a separation of of these waters. And the expanse was in between them. And then God next would, would create dry land. You have water bursting. We don't know how long. We have water pouring for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights of torrential rain. Never-ending torrential rain, never-stopping torrential rain, no reprieve torrential rain, no letting up rain for 40 days and 40 nights. 
We read in Genesis 7:17 and other select verses, the flood continued 40 days on the earth, the waters increased, the waters prevailed and increased greatly. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The water prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. 15 cubits deep is 22 feet above the highest mountain on the earth. That's a lot of water. You may say, well, that's Mount Everest. We don't know if there was Mount Everest. We don't know what was going on with, with, the, with, with, with the upheaval of the earth and what the mountain ranges were like. We don't know. Maybe there was a taller mountain at the time. Maybe there was a smaller mountain at the time. We don't know. All we know is that you took the highest mountain at that time, 22 feet above it is how much water was on this earth. It was completely covered for how long? 150 days the water was upon the earth. You may say, Pastor Scott, do you really believe this? You really believe the the story of Noah and the ark and this worldwide flood? You better believe I do. And I have good reason to believe it. One is that Jesus referred to it as fact in the context of his second coming. Jesus believed it, I'm going to believe it. There's other evidences too. Let me just give you a few, but let me point you most importantly to an organization, and many of you know about it, Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis is an incredible organization with great research done in the area of creation research. So, so get on their website, look at things, and, uh, and, and go to the Ark Encounter, by the way. How many of you have been to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky? I mean, go there, sign up, take your family, and walk through a life-size Ark that they have created. Now, let me give you some of the evidences for a worldwide flood. One are the fossils of sea creatures in rock layers on every continent. There are fossils of sea creatures on every continent. There are fossilized shellfish found in the Himalayan mountains. Think about that for a second. Most rock layers in the Grand Canyon contain marine fossils, sea fossils. Even a mile up. Think about that. What's the explanation? Water covered this entire earth at one point. Extension, extensive fossil graveyards. Usually when something dies, it's eaten, it decays, it's gone. There's evidence of massive flows of sediment covering organisms quickly and catastrophically, preserving them. That's another evidence. Here's another one. Strata of rock layers in the Grand Canyon that all of a sudden go and then they bend and then they go again. They don't break, they bend. What's the explanation? Rock layers were rapidly deposited and folded while they were still wet and pliable before they hardened. That's the flood. Here's another one. The history of cultures and people groups. John Morris, Institute of Creation Research, compiled over 200 accounts. Incredible stories from cultures and peoples around the world who have similar flood stories. And and they were originally reported from anthropologists, ethnologists, and missionaries. And and I'm just going to throw, here's the slides. These are the cultures and the people groups in the world that have a flood story. 
Think about it, a worldwide flood story. In Europe, all of those guys, Near East, Africa, go ahead, next slide. In Asia, all of these different areas and tribes and peoples, next one, they all have a tribal, they all have a flood story. In Australia, these, and in the Pacific Islands, those, next slide. In North America, all of these have a flood history and story. And then the next slide. Think about this, Central America, more in North America, there, there's no mistake There was a worldwide flood on this planet. And it was because of the judgment of God against sin. It was judged suddenly and it was judged worldwide and it was judged completely. You may say, man, that's a lot of people that died. You're not kidding. Based on the present population growth rates, the estimates are around 750 million people lived on the planet at that time. But that's nothing. Because then if you calculate the extremely long lifespans due to the protective water canopy, some people believe, or due to the more pure gene pool earlier in the history of mankind, the population could be anywhere from 750 million to 4 billion people. And they were all wiped out. Every single one of them. Sin is taken very seriously by a holy And a righteous God. With total and complete judgment. Genesis 7.20. The waters prevailed above the mountains. Covering them 15 cubits deep. All all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts. All swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. All mankind. Everything on the dry land. In whose nostrils were the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing. That was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things. And birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left. And those who were with him in the ark. Judgment was certain for the unrighteous. But grace was extended to the righteous. Judgment is certain for the unrighteous. But grace is extended to the righteous. The world wasn't spared. Men won't be spared. And the world was judged. Men will be judged. But grace was shown and grace will be shown. Look at verse 5. He did not spare the ancient world. First part of verse 5. Last part of verse 5. He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. But look what's sandwiched in the middle. But preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others. God has the power to preserve us. God desires to preserve people. He didn't have to spare anybody, but he did. He didn't have to spare any animals, but he did. Noah was preserved. He was thrown a life preserver for him and his family, and it came in the form of a really big boat. To build this ark, Genesis 6.14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, shall cover it inside and outside, out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its, its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. This thing is 510 feet long, one and a three-fourths football fields. 85 feet wide, half a football field. 51 feet high, five-story building. Think about that. Most estimates, it would have taken Noah 55 to 75 years to build it, more than likely with his family. God has the power to preserve, 
But why Noah? Why Noah? Because godliness makes a difference. Godliness made a difference in Noah's life. And godliness will make a difference in your life. Live a godly life. No matter how the world around you is living. Live a godly life. No matter how the rest of your family is living. Live a godly life. No matter how the neighbors are living. Live a godly life. No matter how your co-workers are living. Live a godly life. We're told that Noah found favor with God. We've been told about this great wickedness on the, on the earth and every intent of the heart evil continually and God is going to wipe them out. But then we're told in Genesis 6-8, look at this verse. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah. Why? Genesis 6-9. Read it with me. Noah was a righteous man Blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. Godliness makes a difference. Genesis 7.1. The Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Out of 750 million minimum people on this planet, there is only one man whom God says is righteous. And blameless. And walks with me. Live for God when no one else is. Be godly when everyone else is ungodly. Walk with God when everyone else is walking away from him. Be righteous, be blameless, and walk with your God. And God notices it. God sees it. When God looks down upon your neighborhood, are you the righteous one? When God looks down upon your place of work, are you the blameless one? When God looks down upon your school, are you the one that walks with God? God is looking. He's looking. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, we, we read about the eyes of the Lord moving to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is what? Completely his. God is looking. Will he find you? Will he find me? He's looking in the schools. He's looking in the neighborhood. He's looking in the places of work. He wants to know where the blameless men and women are. He wants to know where the blameless boys and girls are. He wants to know if you are there and if you are going to walk with him when no one else is walking with him. Noah. Noah makes a difference. And Noah was different. He was different from this world. If you are going to walk with God, you're going to have to be different than this world. And if you are going to walk with God, you're going to have to not worry about what this world thinks about you. Noah was different. Righteous, blameless, walking with God. He didn't catch the sickness of the world's sin. You know what it's like this time of year. Everybody's infected, throwing up and fever and flu and blah. And you're like, don't come here. 
And you're washing your hands and you're drinking your fluids and you're trying to stay away from anybody who's sick. And, and, and boy, you know, listen, that's, that's what Noah's doing. He was doing his best not to get spiritually sick in a very sin-sick world. He, he, was, he was washing his hands, so to speak, regularly, staying clean in his life from sin. He, he, he had a diet of good, godly habits in his life. So what you have, a diet of good, godly habits. You're in the word and you're in prayer and you're, you're with other believers in Christ. He stayed away from the sick people. He didn't want them to influence him. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. Minimizing the influence of sinfulness around him. Like Psalm 1 teaches. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't come down with what the world has. Do not let this world influence you. He lived out the truth of Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Is that what your body is for God? Or is it a sacrifice to immorality and self-pleasure? His was a sacrifice to God. My body is your God. It's holy God. It's yours. Acceptable to God. It's my spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A body that's a living and holy sacrifice, living, out the, living to serve his God. He wasn't conformed to this world, but transformed in his mind. And he's seeking out the will of God and living out the will of God. No matter how everybody else is living, He's going to live for God. No matter how else, everybody else in your school is living. Live for God. No matter how how everybody else at work is living for the weekend. And all that comes with it. You live for God. Noah. Noah makes a difference. Noah was different. Noah took a stand in this world. Look what he's called. He's called a preacher of righteousness. Literally, it means a herald, one who makes an announcement for God. I want you to get this. Noah wasn't politically correct. Noah wasn't worried about being popular. Noah called sin, sin, labeled it right or wrong. And he wasn't concerned that no one was listening to him. He had a really small church, people. Nobody came to the services Noah preached except his family. A total of eight people in his congregation. And it says he's a preacher of righteousness, telling people what's right from wrong, pleading with people to come to God, telling them about what this ark is for and what God is going to do to this world. And you need to turn to God. He cared for other people. He didn't just care for his own family. And he wasn't afraid to speak the truth. He told them what was about to take place. Noah had some backbone. You imagine the rejection he faced all the time? All the time, everybody he talked to, no one would listen to him. The ridicule that he faced, the mocking that he faced, the words, oh, he's intolerant. You're so judgmental. You're out of touch with the world today. I'd gladly be out of touch with this world as long as I'm in touch with God. Be out of touch with this world. 
As long as you're in touch with God, that's all that matters because you're going to stand before God someday and give an account for your life. Be blameless, be righteous, and walk with your God. Can I encourage you to be a preacher of righteousness where you are? It doesn't mean hit somebody upside the head. Speak the truth in love, but by all means, speak the truth. Speak the truth in love, but by all means, what? Speak the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. People need the truth. We live in a world where where people are afraid to say what's true and right. Don't, Don't be afraid. Speak the truth. Don't be afraid to label something sin if it's sin. Don't be afraid to call something right and call something wrong. There are rights and there are wrongs. And don't be discouraged if no one seems to be listening to you. And don't be discouraged if you're ridiculed or mocked because you walk with God. Walk with God. Preach righteousness in a vile, sinful world like Noah did and live righteously in a vile, sinful world like Noah did. Noah was different and Noah took a stand uh, in the world and, and Noah had this incredible faith in God. I, I love, I love these, this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith where you're given a glimpse into Noah's life. Hebrews eleven seven. would you read it with me? By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah believed God, and and, and Noah was an heir of righteousness by faith in God. We're told that he is righteous as a man walking right. But but understand something else here. His righteousness was not based on his good deeds. His righteousness was based on his faith. And that's how our righteousness is based. On faith. I don't go to heaven because I'm a good guy. And I try to live right. I go to heaven Because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness is accounted to me. A sinful, depraved man in need of God's grace and in need of God's mercy. And that's how you go to heaven. You don't go to heaven by trying to be a good enough person and trying to outweigh the good deeds with bad deeds. You go to heaven because you have fallen on the mercy and grace of God and asked him to save you. And his righteousness, the Lord's righteousness, is then accounted to you. And you are made righteous in his eyes. Uh, Philippians 3.9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, trying to live out my life the right way, but that which is through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of, believe God. Trust God. Walk with God. Place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Romans 3.22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. This is how I am preserved from judgment. 
And this is how we escape the judgment to come. We place our faith in Jesus. We enter into Jesus as Noah and his family entered into that ark. That's how you're saved from judgment. Enter into a relationship with Jesus. As Noah and his family entered into that ark. And you will be saved from the wrath of a holy God that will come down upon all of the sin and all of the sinners. You got to be found in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But by his doing you are where? In Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's what you get when you go into Jesus. When you enter into Jesus, the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, and redemption. We learn one more thing about Noah. Noah was a man who impacted his family. Look at verse 5, that middle section. But preserve Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with how many others? Seven others. Never underestimate the importance and influence of your commitment to God on your family for generations to come. Never underestimate the difference your walking with God will have upon your children. Never underestimate the difference your living right and living blamelessly will have on your children and your grandchildren and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that you will never meet because you and I will be long gone. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. I'll never forget sitting in a church in Ohio when I was in college and I had just come to faith in Jesus and I had a Bible sitting next to me with my name on it, polling. Some lady taps me on the shoulder and says, you're polling? I'm a polling. Hey, I got a whole family tree here. You want to see if we're related and where? Sure enough, we related. And then off the cuff, she says, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know, I didn't know if you knew this. We have dozens and dozens of pastors in our family. I had no idea. I thought I was the only Christian in my family ever blew me away because I had already dedicated myself to go into ministry and I thought how many people had prayed for me my great grandfather had talked had walked away from God but all the rest of the family hadn't just think friends just think the legacy you can pass on pass it on he saved his family Noah and his wife and Noah's sons Shem Ham and Japheth and their wives. He had three sons, and their wives came, and Noah and his wife came. Judgment is coming. The world wasn't spared, men won't be spared. The world was judged, men will be judged, but grace was shown, and grace will be shown. Be found in Jesus.